We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon football has resumed spring practice in Eugene, and we got plenty of updates from head coach Dan Lanning. We're going to be breaking a lot of those down and more on today's episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. In case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. We're coming to you on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres. Always appreciate the support and any feedback. Love interacting with you guys in the comments. I'm not rolling solo on this episode. I got my guy Spencer McLaughlin from Locked on Ducks back in the building and he's going to help me break down some of these newest updates from landing how we doing man yeah we are doing we're doing well glad to have some semblance of football you know back for the ducks and we're going to have like on the field football action later this month with the spring game so it's it's an exciting time we're you know moving in that direction at the very least it is absolutely an exciting time uh you know i'm in long beach and just got finished doing a lot of recruiting stuff at a camp recently but you know Thanks to technology, I can dive back into duck football and, and getting the latest updates there, talking to people around the program there. But we got our first update of the show. Uh, a number of new faces have joined the Oregon football team as the Ducks resume spring practice in Eugene. I'm going to go ahead and run through each of the names, and then we can just kind of talk about some of our thoughts and maybe where we think they can add some value. Um, we're going to talk about some of the transfers in like kind of a different section, but six new players. Uh, we got Solomon Davis, the cornerback from Southern California, Charter Oak in Covina. Then you have Jerry Mixon, the linebacker from the San Francisco Bay Area. Shout out. Uh, as you guys know, I'm a Bay Area native, so definitely took uh, an interest in, in Mixon. I think he's an awesome talent for the Ducks. You have safety Cody DeCambra, safety Taishim Johnson, who comes over from Ole Miss. Uh, and then you also have an, a bit of an intriguing guy, Matt Rush, uh, a walk-on quarterback from Washington University in Illinois. And then a long snapper and Colson Brunner from or Brunner from uh, Central Washington, I believe. So those are some of the newest faces that we uh, you know saw out there on the practice fields in Eugene. And uh, I think that um, you know this should this should be some some good additions. You know, especially in the secondary, that's one of the areas that where Oregon needs the most help heading into 2023. Yeah, I think uh, Mateo Uyungle is also a face who's here for for spring football. Haven't seen Dan Lanning get asked about him yet or, or talk about him, but the the first quote that we hear about Mateo 
I imagine is going to send some uh, vibrations throughout uh, shows like yours and mine that that cover the Ducks consistently because I'm you know waiting to see you know what's he going to be is he a high impact true freshman is he a little bit more developmental than we thought like I I don't know because we haven't seen it yet but yeah secondary is a big issue of need right I mean you're losing Christian Gonzalez from the cornerback position that creates question marks because there wasn't a solid number two corner in terms of playing time last year it was a revolving door it was mostly Christian Gonzalez and Triquez Bridges, but Dante Manning was in there a lot. Is Jalil Florence going to make a step? I thought Florence showed a lot of potential in, in, in his freshman campaign and will probably be seeing the field pretty heavily, but you could argue there are even more questions about the safety position just from a production standpoint. Like I, I kind of know at this point, you know, what to expect from Triquez Bridges at corner, Dante Manning, not quite Jalil Florence because it's still early in his career. Kyrie Jackson, I guess we don't know. But the safety spot, man, this could go like eight different directions because you have two starters back from last year, but you have two guys coming in as transfers, Evan Williams, Bennett's brother, and Tysheem Johnson, who you expect to be starters. So does that mean that the two guys who were starters last year are getting bumped down the depth chart or are they going to move positions or what's going to happen there? Is it going to be more of a rotation? I really don't know. So Jamal Hill has been rumored to be maybe getting moved to outside linebacker. I think that'd be a great fit. I, I think he's a solid player. I think he's big enough to be linebacker. It doesn't quite have the high end speed to, you know, keep the cover from getting blown off the top of the defense on the back end. So uh, there, there are a lot of different moving pieces here in terms of where it can go. And Lanning talked about that, uh, a, a little bit as well, saying Tysheen Johnson is a guy who can play that that nickel safety role or star safety, if you prefer, whichever one's the same position. And, you know, but he could also move around. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this depth chart shakes out. Yeah, we'll talk more about Johnson in the next segment, um, but just kind of wrapping up a little bit of some thoughts on the, the non-transfer guys, uh, if you will. Um, you know, Solomon Davis coming into that corner room. I don't think he's a guy I expect to, to necessarily contribute early. But um, like you said, you know, you kind of know what you have if you're Demetrius Martin with Triquez Bridges and, and Dante Manning. Um, so I feel like this really this room should be wide open in terms of from a competition standpoint. I mean, I think those guys are obviously going to be in the rotation. I'm not saying they're going to get benched or anything, but um, there's, you haven't gotten a lot of high level play from from those two guys. And that's what you need, uh, especially with Christian Gonzalez leaving. So I think Solomon Davis, if nothing else, he'll help with, uh, you know, the competition there. You also have Cole Martin, who was already on campus. I was a little surprised that Dalen Austin wasn't uh, on that updated roster uh, because some of the sources that I had talked to told me that he had already graduated. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye out and see if he ends up joining this team. But that competition should be wide open at cornerback. Uh, Jerry Mixon is the only true linebacker at a high school that they signed in 2023. And uh, when I went on the road to Sacred Heart Cathedral out in San Francisco to, to cover Mixon in person, you know, talking to his coaches, he's, he's a guy who does a little bit of everything. You know, he played that true backer, put his hand down in the dirt a little bit, kind of rushed off the edge, played some quarterback, played some running back. So this is just kind of, I wouldn't say a jumbo athlete like Noah Sewell, but just a serious athlete that can do a little bit of everything that you need. Again, because of the transfer additions that they had at that position, Justin Jacobs, Connor Soley. I don't anticipate to see Mixon involved too terribly much. Um, but maybe the last guy we can talk about in this segment, um, you, you have well, well, yeah, one, one quick thing on, on Soley, the Arizona state transfer. Also interested to see whether or not he is a major player. Number one, wasn't a super highly sought after recruit, not a super highly rated transfer, but 
he could be a guy who could back up Tysheem Johnson at that nickel safety spot, potentially, P- potentially, because sure. he he's kind of that hybrid body type safety, you know, slash defensive back and linebacker, which is what you're looking for um, typically at that star safety spot. So I, I'm most curious to see where where he ends up playing. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he, he was a former safety, so he before he yeah. played linebacker at um at Arizona State. So he has some of that that flexibility, that versatility that you want. But I think the guy that kind of draw, drew some attention was, was Matt Rush, the uh the the transfer yeah, quarterback, the quarterback. From, from Washington University, because I don't know if I had said it on on your show or if I had discussed this with you, but I wasn't I was of the mindset that maybe Oregon did need another quarterback because that depth behind Knicks is, you know, I don't know. I don't want to go as far as saying non-existent, but it's it's not promising. And I'm not trying to take shots at Ty Thompson or Austin Novosad. I'm just saying you don't have a proven guy who's done something for you in games, let alone big games, um, that you can turn to. So I think this is kind of a low-risk, high-reward guy because Rush isn't your typical walk-on guy. I mean, he played basically two seasons at Washington University. Uh, and he threw for over 5,000 yards, 54 touchdowns against 10 interceptions. So I really like this addition by, by Oregon because you just, you get a guy who has experience playing football, um, playing college football, albeit not at a super high level. But you just want to give yourself another option because if Bo Nix goes down, this team's in trouble. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's similar to whoever the number four quarterback was last year. I, I think that they added at one point in time who had gone to the Big same Van high Dine. school. Yeah, I, th- I think it was Van Dyne. Didn't Van Dyne, I don't remember if it was him or a different name that came through the quarterback room at one point in time, but I remember talking about someone on the show who, on, on, on my show, Locked on Ducks, who had gone to the same high school as Andrew Luck and had like rivaled Andrew Luck's passing numbers in, in high school. So you, you find these guys sometimes who put up gaudy college numbers and, you know, serve as a, a depth chart piece there. But I, I think you know, the most valuable thing they can bring to the table is being a scout team quarterback, right? Is, you know, being someone who the defense has to be wary of, who the defense is, you know, not able to, to take lightly or make plays they know won't be actually there in, in the game. Because I, I can't think of a season in which Oregon or any program really has had to go down to their fourth string quarterback. I, I mean, Ohio State, you know, in that national championship season when they beat the Ducks after, after we trounced Florida State in the Rose Bowl, they were down to their third string quarterback, but I've never seen it go go down to four. And look, they could be bringing him in thinking he might be more game ready should the worst come to pass, which is Bo and Ty getting hurt. And Austin Novosad is just not ready to to do that. And I think based on what we've seen from Novosad, that's a fair assessment if you're Dan Lanning, Will Stein, and, and the rest of the offensive coaching staff. So, I, I mean, I, I understand it. I think it's fine. I don't think it's a groundbreaking move. Or, or anything of that sort. So I think his numbers kind of get people all, you know, riled up about, oh man, he did this or he did that. Like he's probably going, he's number three on the depth chart at best. Probably my guess would be, would be number four as a walk-on because, you know, a walk-on has to do a lot at the quarterback position, especially to overtake a scholarship guy on, on the depth chart. So I don't think this is a reshuffling of the quarterback room or anything. You know, it's still Bo Nix, Ty Thompson, and it's probably Novus had three, and then he's sitting there at, at at number four. But, you know, it's it's an addition, and you never know. You, you never know what, what could happen there. Exactly. I feel like it was one of those kind of maybe underrated or low-flying additions that we just wanted to talk about. You know, maybe yeah. I'll grab some, some attention. So Matt Rush, new quarterback added to Oregon's Good roster. Good name, too. Good name. 
definitely a good name. Um, let's let's dive into the transfers. We're going to kind of hit on each of these guys, some of the new arrivals, newer arrivals, I should say. Let's talk about Tyshim Johnson. He's a safety who comes over from Ole Miss. We kind of know the story with him. Originally out of the Philadelphia area, uh, I was hearing, I think, on the, the Odds and Audibles podcast that he was originally recruited to Ole Miss as a corner. So you see that coverage ability, guy who had 70-plus tackles, uh, I believe, last season for Ole Miss. And then let's read the quote uh, from from Lanning that we got at yesterday's presser, just talking about what made him an appealing guy at, a, at Ole Miss. And Lanning says, I quote, a guy that's around the ball, makes a lot of plays. I don't think we have to look at him exclusively as a nickel. Think he's a guy that has position flexibility that we can use at multiple positions. He's a playmaker, plays with great effort, physical tackler, and has blitz ability. So this is a guy I feel like it's almost kind of like, you know, a ball of clay. You know, this, we haven't seen him play at Oregon. Uh, we know that Dan Lanning's defenses have, you know, been multiple, you know, a lot of different things you can do there. Uh, and I think I can't help but going back to your point that we talked about a little bit earlier this gives Oregon some flexibility to, to move a guy like Jamal Hill to an outside linebacker or at least try him, right? That's what spring football is for. Yep. And, um, I mean, like I've kind of been saying, that safety room is crowded and you have a lot of guys who maybe haven't done amazing things for you necessarily. So that's why I feel like Evan Williams and Tysheem Johnson come in and they project to be instant impact guys that are at the very least going to be in the rotation. Yeah, I think Dan Lanning, Demetrius Martin, Tosh Lupoy all saw what we saw in 2022, and that's that there just were not a lot of big plays made from the safeties, right? Outside of Brian Addison, who you know I talked about on, uh, on, on Thursday's episode of Locked on Ducks as being a guy who – is is probably going to end up being a starter because he's the most physically gifted guy in that room. Like he's the most explosive athlete, but he also made the most plays. Like if I asked you right now, Max, think about a big impact play from a safety that is currently on Oregon's roster from 2022. Can you give me any outside of Brian Addison? I've got, I got one. I, that's that's the only one that that I can really think of. Maybe a couple of pass breakups. There you know, was a pass there. breakup from Steve Stevens in the back of the end zone against Cal that saved you four points as a defense forced him into a field goal instead of a touchdown. That's it, and that's just not enough in an age of football where people are throwing the ball so often. Like you need guys who are not just solid, but who are playmakers who are making him having impact moments over the course of a game. And I think Addison could frankly play. I don't know if he could do the nickel safety because that player's typically closer to a linebacker. He's a little thin, but he's so explosive. I mean, he is a really, really dynamic athlete. And, you know, he had an interception in the Cal game. He had one pick almost two in the UCLA game. He had some really nice moments against Washington State where he laid the lumber a couple times. Like, I just watched him throughout the year and thought, yeah, that, that guy belongs on the field. That guy looks like an explosive, high-level, power five caliber playmaker. And I think, you know, the year in the safety role, you know, he can only get better at, at that position. But all the other spots, you look at Steve Stevens and Jamal Hill, and you say – were there any impact plays like they're there? You know, there are plays they accumulated stats, but there weren't those moments that made you go, wow, I really need to have that guy on the field. So I think that's why you bring in Williams and Johnson, because you see them as as guys who can be more impact players 
for for the safeties group on on this defense, which does have a lot of names in it. You know, there's those two. Damon David is in there. He was a four star recruit. It's just a bunch of four star recruits, basically. I think JJ Greenfield was a, a three star, but now you've Trajan got Williams. Yeah, Trajan Williams is a redshirt freshman. He redshirted last year, coming out of Jefferson High School in Oregon. He hasn't played. You've got uh, Tyler Turner and Cody DeCamera, the four-star true freshman coming in. Probably won't see the field early in their careers, I would guess, but hey, you never know. It's maybe not some like, special teams. Yeah, maybe some special team stuff and, you know, late game action against like Portland State and, and Hawaii and, you know, hopefully a couple conference games a, as well where they get that sort of opportunity. But the, the defense just didn't have enough playmakers back there. And look, Bennett Williams – Takes a lot of flack from Oregon fans. I get it on some level. It's overblown at another level, but he had some really bad moments. And Tysheem Johnson, I think, is the guy who fits that role the best, right? To be that kind of box safety, just smaller than a linebacker. That's kind of what the nickel or star safety is supposed to be. That's what Bennett Williams was. But, you know, Lanning talking about his versatility gives me optimism because I look at Bennett Williams and say, okay, from 15 yards and in, he was actually a very good football player. He was a really good tackler. He was good in coverage in, in, in that area. And he was a solid blitzer, too. He forced the fumble against uh, Arizona on Jaden Delora that stopped what was an otherwise promising drive. But once you went beyond that, he just lacked the speed to keep up with wide receivers. And that's where Johnson has to be able to make a difference. That's where he's got to be better than Bennett Williams for this Oregon defense. Because anytime Williams was over the top, whether it was twice in the Washington game for long touchdowns, or I think it was once against uh, Colorado as well. He had a blown coverage. He and Gonzo weren't on the same page. And there was one other one. Um, North Carolina was the other one in the Holiday Bowl where you just see him out there and you're like, oh, he's just a step slower than those wide receivers. That That's what Johnson needs to be able to bring to the table is – Look, I'm not expecting to be perfect in coverage all the time, but you can't be giving up these long touchdowns on explosive plays because it looks like you're just not not fast enough to keep up with those wide receivers. And, and you know, he's a guy who probably does do his best work based on what we've seen from him so far in his time at Ole Miss around the line of scrimmage. But he needs to be able to bring that deep element as well. Or Oregon's defense, you know, will be playing with one hand behind their back sometimes with certain coverages. There's another transfer, a big transfer that we got to talk yeah. about for oh, the Oregon Ducks, and that is South, former South Carolina edge rusher Jordan Birch. Plain and simple, Spencer, the Ducks could not get after the quarterback uh, nope. last year, and Jordan Birch is going to play a big role in that, but also just being crucial to Oregon's overall defense in 2023. Uh, and uh, Lenny had some good stuff to say about him on Tuesday as the Ducks returned to practice, saying, quote, you talk about changing the defense, it starts with having guys with great size up front that have the ability to play and have played at a high level. Jordan's done that. Obviously, there's a relationship there before, but really excited about what he can do for our team. He has a demeanor about himself. I think when you see him at practice, you see how he moves, you say, okay, that's what it's supposed to look like. So pretty pretty good you know, initial return uh, on, on one of Oregon's biggest additions as this roster overhaul continues. 6'6", 275 is what Birch was listed on last year. He just gives Oregon a guy that they haven't really had since probably Jason Jones. If you're just looking at physically, Jason Jones was massive. Didn't do a whole lot at Oregon. Kind of looked like he was getting more comfortable towards the back end of the 21 season. Now he's back home in his home state of Alabama playing for Auburn. But 
I'm really excited about this because Jordan Birch, I think Oregon's not in the situation where they have, you know, just one guy or two guys to build around. Now you have Jordan Birch. Now you have Brandon Dorless, Casey Rogers, Popo Amavai. This is probably going to be Oregon's deepest defensive line they've had in quite some time. And, uh, you know, Jordan Birch is going to play a big part of that. Yeah, and he has to because he's a guy who can generate pressure on the quarterback. And look, you're talking about Oregon football and men's basketball, the biggest things they didn't do in 2022. Basketball couldn't shoot. Football couldn't get after the passer. And if you can't do those things in the modern age of sports and the way they're played and how analytics work and everything, you are going to struggle mightily. And they did. So when you look at a guy like Birch who can line up inside or outside, but I think is best as an edge prospect, that is exactly what Oregon needs. Like they need a guy who can go out there, who can dominate, who can attract defensive attention, take some away from Brandon Dorless, let him be an inside rusher. Because Oregon last year was so you know thin on quality edge pieces that they would put Brandon Dorless outside. And he can do that. But that's not really his body type. That's not really his game. Is He's not a speed edge rusher. He's an inside moves, uses hands to get around the offensive guard and bat passes down kind of guy, right, as a defensive tackle. Like, that's where he projects in the NFL. Like, there's no way Brandon Dorless will, will play edge in the NFL. Like, he is not even close to being quick enough to do that. But he can play on the interior of the defensive line. So if you have Dorless there – and Birch on one edge, and then what will probably be a combination of Mace Funa and, and Mateo Uyungle at the other edge spot, that is just significantly deeper. And then you talk about the other defensive tackles. Popo is back. He was a first-team all-pack 12 performer in 2021. That's no small thing. And you've got Casey Rogers there, who I really like. Like He's just an annoying player for the defense. Not a great pass rusher, but a really good run stuffer. And then Sam Taimani is still in that room experience. you got body. So I feel really good about the defensive tackles. But, you know, Jordan Birch, he's got to be a guy who helps lead the way to get more pressure on the quarterback. Because if you can't, then Michael Penix will have another 350, 400-yard day. And, you know, you'll see other guys like Cam Ward just, you know, feast on this Oregon defense. Because this is a conference in the Pac-12 that is the deepest at the quarterback position in the entire country. And I don't know that there's a close second, frankly. It's really, really good. Like Cam Rising, who two years ago was the first team all Pac-12 quarterback, he's like the sixth best, best quarterback in the conference now. When you have that level of depth, you've got to be able to create pressure or you're just going to struggle week in and week out to consistently generate stops. And that's what we saw a year ago for for a number of games. Not all of them. There were some great defensive performances, most notably against Cam Rising, but against other guys, Michael Penix, Cam Ward. Now you've got DJU at Oregon State. Like you have to be able to make them uncomfortable and disrupt the flow of the offense. And and I want to get back to kind of what you were saying a little bit, just about the the depth and you know getting after the quarterback. That was something that Oregon hasn't been able to do very well. And you know, Lanning was more or less saying that he feels like he has the pieces to do it now. You know, at least the the volume of guys to do it. Uh, I think Blake Purchase is another guy that's going to draw a lot of attention once he gets to Oregon. You know, everyone wants to kind of focus on Mateo as the face of the edge rushers in the high school ranks. But Blake Purchase, I think he won the state championship every year he was in high school. Uh, Two-time Gatorade player of the year, I want to say, in Colorado. Um, and, and that kind of just leads into another point about kind of how the defense is maybe changing or what the the question was, what is the biggest defense, biggest difference, excuse me, 
um, on defense from a talent perspective and depth perspective uh, this year. And Lanning said, quote, I think we probably have a lot more quality defensive line and quality DBs that can play. I'll be honest, from top to bottom, I think there's more that can play. The more players you can play, the better you're going to be on defense. And, you know, Birch is obviously a huge part of that and the pieces that they've added. You got Mateo, who's, uh, you know, fresh off a national championship with St. John Bosco. He's in Oregon now. Uh, But you also have Tavita Pomee out of Utah. He's an early enrollee that's there. Michael Gardner out of the state of Arizona. He's an early enrollee that's there. Um, And then we talked about some of the DBs that they already added that are already there. And I think that those two positions were just addressed so, so heavily that, you know, it's it's not only only way you can go is up, but it's like you add these pieces and there's just so much promise and so much reason to be enthusiastic um, about them being able to turn it up a notch. Yeah. And I think the only way you can go is up. I mean, it was a historically low pressure season and sack season for Oregon. I forget the. The, the concrete stat, but it was like their worst season getting after the quarterback in the last 20 years. And I, I think the Mario Cristobal turnover hurt that a little bit, you know, maybe harm their ability to to find an in, instant impact guy out of uh, the portal or a true freshman, maybe, you know, in the recruiting class that landing had to, you know, salvage as best he could. And he certainly did for the 2022 cycle. But, you know, the biggest names over there that, that landing was able to get were, Jaleel Florence, who, you know, decommitted, but then was down to USC and Oregon, ended up choosing the Ducks. Looks like a really promising defensive back for for Oregon in the secondary. And Josh Connerly, who was like the big name that was standing out there in the 2022 cycle in the spring, got his commitment. He made an impact right away. Probably Oregon's starting left tackle this year. So I think that defensively you saw Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy load up on the D-line going forward. I mean, there are names that, you know, are in this 2023 freshman class that you didn't even mention, right? Amari Washington, Terrence Green, Ashton Porter is a guy who, you know, John Garcia of, uh, of, of Sports Illustrated has said that, you know, he's a recruiting guy. And he has said that Porter, he feels like, has one of the higher floors of any of the defensive line commits that that Oregon's gotten. He might be ready to potentially contribute soon, but there are so many bodies in front of him. I'm not anticipating that, but there are just a lot of guys there because I, I think Lanning and his staff came in and said, okay, this unit is not good enough. That played out last year, and now they are addressing that problem both via the transfer portal with Jordan Birch, keeping guys around like Casey Rogers and Mace Funa, and going to the high school ranks and saying, we need to find our next next great edge rusher, whether it's one of the guys we've talked about or Mateo or whomever it, it may be. So I, I like the focus from Dan Lanning and his staff on, on the defensive line because he's a defensive coach, right? And he knows you can't be a great defense if you can't get pressure with four guys. Like you have to be able to do that. There has never been, nor will there ever be a great defense that can't consistently generate pressure with just four guys. You're always who are the most highly coveted players in the NFL position wise quarterback number one probably left tackle number two and edge rusher number three like those are the positions that and and corner now is becoming more important with you know the way that they're throwing the ball in the NFL but you know it's it's the Colin Coward model you need to protect your quarterback and you need to make their quarterback uncomfortable and you do that primarily with edge rushers uh, more than you do with with interior defensive linemen. Like Brandon Dorless is really good, but Brandon Dorless is not going to generate enough pressure on his own from the D tackle spot to be able to disrupt an offensive flow in a quarterback's rhythm. 
that's where a guy like Jordan Birch comes in. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another big transfer for Oregon this offseason comes on the offensive side of the ball now. We're talking about Tez Johnson, who comes over from Troy and really enters one of the more interesting position battles that we have on yeah. offense, and that is that slot wide receiver against Chris Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he, I've been kind of saying on my podcast when I was talking to, you know, some people around the program that, you know, about Tez Johnson, you know, what's, what's the story there? You know, a guy comes over from Troy, not a big name school, you know, the connection with Bo Nix is there, but he is pretty slight of frame, 5'10", 150 ish. And the feedback was, I guess, pretty straightforward. He's moving like guys, he's moving differently rather, I think was the quote from the source than other guys in that room. And uh, that lends itself to, you know, his speed and agility. And Lanning was asked about early return, some early thoughts on Tez Johnson saying, quote, he's got speed. I think that shows up. He has the ability to get in and out of breaks, can really create separation with that speed. Obviously, he's a bit lighter, so we got to get him to continue to bulk up and gain weight for him to be a consistent player because if you take a couple of hits at that size, you're not going to be able to be as productive, end quote. So I think that it's uh, it's easy to get excited about Tez Johnson. Again, one of the more under-the-radar additions, I think, uh, in Oregon's wide receiver room. And another like smaller point, uh, Spencer, that we heard from Lanning was he was asked about the wide receiver depth and he was basically saying he's not tripping over it. Like that was basically the the thing he was saying, you know, he's like, you know, we've even played with less than we have now last year. Um, So Troy Franklin's the main guy there. You get Holden as well. Tez Johnson, Jerion Dickey comes in in the spring. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with Landon. I'm feeling pretty good about, um, about this wide receiver group for Oregon. And I think that uh, the spring game will probably be a pretty good indicator about where Tez Johnson ultimately stacks up in this competition at slot wideout. Yeah, I think we can learn a lot about the the slot receiver position in the spring game because both guys I anticipate will get a lot of reps. They'll be the leading snap getters for sure. And I don't think there's a lot of competition behind them because, you know, a guy like Jerion Dickey can play in the slot. But Jerion, correct me if I'm wrong, is not on campus yet. He enrolls in the fall. And look, he could be an instant impact guy. He could come in for fall camp and, you know, kick butt, take names. And, and be one of the principal slot receivers. But I think he's closer to being in that Z slot behind Trayshawn Holden for the Ducks than he is to being in the uh, in the slot receiver position. So I'm, I'm with you. I think corner and slot receiver are the most competitive and least decided battles for, for starting positions because you don't bring in a guy like Tez Johnson, who was PFS second highest graded receiver in the entire country. Now, yeah, he's playing at, at, at the G5 level, right? Like he's playing in, what is it? The, the Sun Belt, I think. I believe yeah, Troy, I want to say Troy plays in the in the Sun Belt. I might have that wrong. Regardless, it's, yep. No, yep, it's not as high level of competition, though it's a respect. I mean, the Fun Belt, they've got some interesting teams in there. Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State, but um, that, that speed element that he brings, right? Lanning talked about team speed in the past, you know, mostly with regards to the defense, but it applies to the offense as well. And I, I could see Tez Johnson being a better overall route runner than Chris Hudson, who's good at it, but I could see him being a more dynamic athlete in that sense. But here's the question, and, the, and Lanning touched on this. Is he going to be able to bulk up enough to where he can be out there in running and passing situations. Can you give him a fly sweep or a pop pass or a tunnel screen and, and trust that he won't, you know, get clobbered to the point where he gets injured? I don't know. And we've seen skinny receivers like Devontae Smith have success at the power five level before. So it wouldn't be unprecedented, right? But at the same time, receivers have to block. And Tez Johnson weighs less than I do. That that is very very small. Talk about it. <laughs> Talk about it, Spencer. Flex I, on him. <laughs> yeah, I uh, let's just say my weight is not in muscle mass. Uh, it comes in other forms, but he's got to be able to prove that number one, he can bulk up a little to take to take hits, and number two, that that he can block at the level that Oregon needs him to. Because think about Bucky Irving, Max. What's his best move? It's it's the okay. jump cut, right? It's it's sucked the defense in and kind of the Michael James style jump cut to the outside. Well, if you jump cut to the outside and your receivers, yeah, you, you got to have receivers who can block, you know, going back to um, LaMichael and Kenyon, who ran almost exclusively on not exclusively, but they ran heavily on the edges and they love to cut it to the outside. Those receivers, dude, they were kick ass blockers. I mean, Jeff Mail plowed guys over. Tune was a great blocker. Huff was a great blocker. They had Keenan Lowe. Like, you just go down the list. There have been a lot of great blocking wide receivers, and I don't know if Oregon has one right now. Franklin is, Johnny Johnson. I think, Johnny okay. Johnson. Johnson was the guy I was about to mention. Johnson was a great, dog. not Absolute good, dog he was a, a great blocker. He would take DBs and pile drive them to the sidelines like Michael Orr in the blind side. You know, like he would just drive them until the whistle stopped. 
And if Tez Johnson can't bring that to the table, but they think his route running is superior to that of Hudson, then maybe this is a true split. Maybe this is a true 50-50 snap count situation where, you know, Tez is going to be more downfield, uh, more of a downfield receiver guy, and Hudson will do stuff kind of within the the confines of the first down marker. So I, I could really see it going either way because I, I'm I'm not low on Chris Hudson at all. He was a four-star recruit coming out of college. He's been really productive so far. He had a couple iffy moments last year, but not a lot. I, I think it's overall gets gets a bit overblown when people say, oh, well, you know, he had the one drop. Okay, he had a bad drop against Cal, no doubt. Everything else, like he made big plays. He caught tunnel screens. He's a good blocker. He does pop passes. Like there are a lot of things that he does at a high level and – I, I, I just question whether or not Tez Johnson can surpass him on the depth chart. I could see him working working his way into kind of a 50-50 split, like I said. But, you know, you, we, we don't know what's going to happen. Well, we have to keep an eye on that uh, wide receiver room battle, the slot wide receiver room uh, position specifically. Um, Spencer, we've had on a lot of good stuff. Um, I do want to be respectful of your time. I did have two more little subsections I wanted to get into. How yeah, are you let's, doing on yeah, that? yeah, let's ride. Okay, for for sure. I don't have a I don't have a life outside of Oregon. <laughs> I feel like I don't sometimes, <laughs> which is good and bad. Um, I wouldn't want we, it any other way. We, personally, we, we don't have to go into that our personal lives. But let's talk about let's talk about Bo Nix because going into 2023, you could say it was the same in 2022, but it's a little bit different. This is Bo Nix's Oregon team uh, as we stand right now in spring practice, going into the 2023 season. And um, you know, Dan Lanning was asked about kind of what role, I guess, or you know, what growth he wants to see from year one to year two with Bo. And I thought he had a really interesting answer. So I'm going to hop into what he had to say, quote, I had a long combo with Bo yesterday. There's a big difference with where he is this year compared to where he was last year. It was kind of earning the respect versus now he's earned the respect. Now it is that leadership role is expected for Bo expect him to step up. And he has those traits. He's been that guy, but certainly you want the best from your best players. He's proven to be one of our better players, especially in this conference in the nation at quarterback and want him want to see that carry over to the field. So we talked about how, you know, kind of this team will go as far as Bo Nix can take them. I think that's pretty obvious, um, but it's a little bit different now. He's rewritten the narrative around his name. He's not, he's no longer the, the Bo No kind of guy that we, uh, you know, heard about a lot when he was at Auburn. He had a heck of a season and even played himself as a, into the Heisman Trophy conversation at one point. Um, but now, it's going to be on Bo Nix to, to help Will Stein implement his system, to, to help get this new look offensive line up and running and gelling. And um, I think that he just takes on a new leadership role. And I feel like it was probably expected. You know, he comes back for, for one more ride. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, the standard's been set and there's sky high expectations for Bo Nix and Eugene. Yeah, I mean, how can how can you not have anything but high hopes after he set an Oregon and personal record for completion percentage in 2022, his first season with the Ducks? And I think it goes to show that when you recruit a quarterback, he, he's got a lot of potential, right, as Bo Nix did or Zosta Novosad does now or Ty Thompson. What you surround him with matters as much as how talented the kid actually is because Bo Nix was a five-star coming out of high school 
He graded as a three-star transfer, but he played like a five-star quarterback in 2022 because he had a great offensive line. He had a running game. He had good receivers. He had good receivers at Auburn, but he didn't have a great O-line. He didn't have a running game there. But when you give him the pieces to succeed, he showed that he can execute the offense at a high level and still improve in some areas, right? I think there were still a couple moments where he got locked on to a particular receiver. I think getting through progressions is one of the biggest knocks on him as a, as a professional quarterback prospect. But I, I think overall, he showed that he is capable of playing at a Heisman Trophy caliber level. It's not Marcus Mariota level, but the way that he uses his legs to allow himself to maximize his arm talent, I think the way that that was schemed within the offense last year was really, really good. You know, like those sprint outs where you, you slant the O-line to the left, you leave the tight end to seal block on the defensive end, and then you sprint out on a naked bootleg and you allow long developing routes to take place down the field. Those plays worked seemingly every time because Bo Nix has a good arm. Bo Nix has a strong arm and he is very mobile as well. And when his mobility was taken away, Oregon's offense was limited as a result. And totally different. Yeah. And I, I'm with you that this is Bo Nix's team, right? His brother's on the team now. You have some key returners from last year, but a lot of key leadership departures. You know, most notably on the offense, I'd say Alex Forsyth was a huge, huge loss for the Ducks because he was a six-year center. He's a vocal leader there. And Bonix has to take that role in, in stride, and he's got to embrace, and I think he will, based on what we saw and the respect that he commanded uh, of Oregon players and fans as well with his first season in Eugene. I, I think there's no reason to expect him to do anything less than you know what he did last year and maybe even improve upon those numbers we talked about bo nix now we gotta talk about the guys that are gonna be blocking for him <laughs> yeah. as our final segment of the show winding down this episode of the duck's dish podcast appreciate you guys tuning in wherever you're tuned in talking with spencer mclaughlin of locked on ducks Oregon's offensive line is going to look pretty darn new in 2023. A number of departures, most notably Alex Forsyth at that center spot, but a couple of important pieces coming back, most notably Stephen Jones, Jackson Powers Johnson, Marcus Harper. Uh, you could also throw Faope Laulu in that conversation. He saw a little bit of playing time last year, not a ton. Josh Connerly, got to mention him too in that yep, 14J package. But we're going to wind down the show because – Lane was asked about kind of what he's looking for along the offensive line, maybe more specifically at center as they transition from Forsyth into a little bit of uh, of a new era. And, you know, in the question there from, uh, from you know, our guy James Crepia, he, he was saying, you know, Forsyth was like, unlike other centers, you know, he was calling audibles. He was, you know, calling out shifts, calling out changes, just an unbelievably cerebral guy, sky high football IQ. And now Oregon doesn't have that. So what is Landon going to be looking for? And Lanning said, quote, ultimately, you let your players do what they're able to do and you don't limit what their abilities are. Alex had grown over time to a guy that can make those calls, can make changes, identify things. We're not there yet. We don't have that necessarily yet, but that comes with experience. So the more experience we get, the more we can create opportunities to take advantage of what's in their tool belt. And the Ducks did add some really experienced guys in Junior Angelau from Texas and Ajani Cornelius from Rhode Island as the main transfer portal guys for Oregon along the offensive line. So you also have to, you know, put into the equation here, Spencer, that they have Leek Terry and Mike Cavanaugh taking over that O-line. New group with Adrian Clem going to the Patriots, Vianne Telemivau going to Stanford. 
you have not only a new offensive line, you know, unit, but now you also have some new guys that are going to be coaching them up. So plenty of reason to be optimistic, but also, you know, it's, there's going to be some growing pains. I don't think you can reasonably expect this offensive line unit to be as successful as last year's. It doesn't mean you can't expect them as an Oregon fan to be above average because they do have some returning talent, right? Steven Jones is in there. Marcus Harper will probably play at some point. Jackson Powers Johnson will be at a mostly new position, but he's a really talented offensive lineman. I mean, he's been really, really good for the Ducks. Josh Connerly as well. But they're going to be shuffled around and playing in ways that they didn't last year, right? Jackson Powers Johnson is going to be at center. I think, though we'll see how spring football goes, Josh Connerly is going to be your left tackle, but your full-time left tackle, not, not a run blocking and one-time pass catching left tackle, but a guy who is protecting Bo Nix's blind side. TJ Bass allowed some ridiculously low number of pressures while, while at left tackle. He was really good, and he's gone. Big Sala at right tackle had some ups and downs, but there were a lot more ups than downs. That looks to be a Johnny Cornelius's spot. At right guard, um, there, there was kind of a revolving door last year, right? Steven Jones, Marcus Harper, uh, Feope Laulu was, uh, was in there a little bit, and then JPJ too. But you're going to be putting in a new guy in Junior Angelau, who's also got a background at center, but looks to probably be in that right guard spot. So I, I just look at the O-line and say, yeah, I see talent. I see some experience as well. But Cornelius is going from FCS to Power 5. He was a highly coveted transfer, so probably a good fit there. Angelau I feel really good about because of what he's already done at Texas. But JPJ is going to be essentially learning a new position. That's a lot. Connerly is going to be learning a new position or a new amount of playing time if he's a starter. So they have above average talent compared to the rest of the conference, but you can't, it, it's so much about chemistry and working as a unit, understanding the calls and having a different center there. I just can't see how they don't take at least a little step back, which is still going to be okay because the offensive line was so good. They allowed what one sack in the first eight games while Bo Nix was healthy. Like, that number was ridiculous. They allowed the fewest sacks in the country. So if I tell you they're going to go from allowing the fewest sacks in the country to, you know, taking a step back, that's still like no more than, you know, one sack every two games, essentially. So I, I think they can still be quite good, but can they be as good as last year? No. And that puts the onus on Bo Nix to be a better orchestrator of the offense and audible caller with, without Alex Forsyth there who did do that several times last year. That's been, I think pretty well documented at this point. And, and also to, to just be a more vocal leader, even more so than he was because you don't have Forsyth in the mix to be that. But I, I think he's got that sort of potential, but when you're making those jumps, when you're making those changes and those tweaks, it can come with some growing pains, like you said, and I think Oregon fans have to be prepared for that. And you just hope they don't show up in critical moments and they get most of the kinks worked out before conference play begins. Well, a lot of great stuff here on this episode, Spencer. Uh, before we get you out of here, let the people know where they can find you and kind of what you have going on in this football space. Yeah, I host Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12 on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts Monday through Friday all year Round. I'm on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 is my personal account. If you ever want to send me a question for my show or just send me a message or whatever, telling me that I'm a doofus, then by all means go for it. You know, uh, Twitter mentions and DMS are, 
are wide open. But yeah, Max, always, uh, always happy to come on and talk Ducks with you, man. Appreciate you. Right on, man. Well, appreciate you for taking the time out of the day to talk some Ducks with us and appreciate you, whoever's listening or watching this, for taking some time out of your day to talk some Duck football with us. You can lock in with me on all social media platforms, primarily Twitter and Instagram, at mtorresports, that name on your screen, and then on YouTube, at Oregon Football Max Torres. And then stay tuned, uh, stay up to date, rather, with all my latest Oregon coverage over on ducksdigest.com. But until next time, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.